podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Me, Phil Kitt from Elides, him, Dr Sid Lowe. Hello Sydney. Hello Phil, how are you? What a weekend. <laughs> what a bloody weekend yeah, it was. amazing. I mean it's been an amazing season and in particular the last four or five weeks have been yes. incredible. That sense that somehow there are all of these turning points, <laughs> none of which turn out to be turning points. It's like you turn so many times that you don't know which way you're facing anymore. Yes. But at the end of it all, it seems you're facing the same way you were when it all started. It's like no one properly gets away, but nor does anyone properly get kind of cut adrift. Um, and each time the, the kind of turning points are even more dramatic, whether it's a last minute penalty that hits the post or whether it's a, a breakaway goal in the 90th minute or this weekend, by the end of Sunday night, it was just kind of bizarre how, <laughs> how much of a twist we got. Uh, you're talking about the title race, which is as dramatic as we've had in the last... Um, I saw a stat a that number said that it's never been tighter since it's been three points for a win. Wow. Okay. In terms of the points, that gives you uh, that gives you an idea. It's also extremely tight at the bottom as well in terms of the relegation battle. So here's what happened on match day 35. Before we uh, dive into a more detailed look on Friday night, Real Sociedad beat Elche by uh, two goals to nil. A, a really good result for the side from San Sebastián, who are closing in on fifth spot. Elche very much still mired in the relegation dogfight. Alaves claimed a point at home uh, to Levante. It finished two-two on Saturday, and then Barca and Atletico played out. What we thought was a very uh, significant 0-0 draw at the camp now. Uh, Sydney was there. Uh, we'll talk about that game in just a moment. Cadiz uh, secured their top flight status with a 2-1 home win against Wesker. A magnificent result for uh, Alvaro Cervera's side who have done it by having by far the lowest amount of possession uh, per game on average in La Liga. But they don't care because they know how to no, play. No, exactly. And that's, that's how they do it. Uh, Athletic and Osasuna played out a 2-2 a draw for two sides with uh, very little to play for. Then on Sunday, you went to Getafe, finally. <laughs> After all these months of being denied accreditation, you managed to get in and witness a... Very dramatic uh, end to this game. Abar yeah. uh, with a uh, an injury time penalty to win 1-0. Back-to-back wins for Abar for the first time since last July. They've given themselves some hope of avoiding relegation when it looked like they had absolutely none. Uh, Valencia beating Bayo the lead by three goals to nil to secure their top flight status. They looked like they were going to get really dragged into the relegation battle. They sacked Javi Gracia. In came Voro once again, the caretaker manager for a seventh time. And... <laughs> Oversaw it's that 3-0 win. really, the seventh time. <laughs> and then Villarreal and Celta played out an incredible game at the Estadio de la Ceramica. It finished uh, Villarreal 2, Celta 4. Uh, everything happened uh, in this game. And it's a shame that not more people were watching, I think, paying attention. Because yeah. I think everybody was focusing on the Madrid-Sevilla game. That said, the real star was the referee. Yes. Did you hear Raul Albiol at the end? I did. Lovely. Brilliant, <laughs> brilliant quote. He said, I think we'd have... Basically, he said... I think we'd have done better if we'd had no referee and the two teams had just kind of agreed <laughs> on the decisions. Yes. Um, speaking of refs, uh, quite a few headlines coming yeah. out of the uh, Real Madrid-Sevilla game, which finished 2-2 after an extraordinarily a dramatic end to the game. Uh, and tonight we've got Betis against Granada. Betis who have drawn each of their last six matches in La Liga. So we'll start with the title race, the... Main talking point, that extraordinary 2-2 draw at Valdebebas yesterday, which you witnessed mm. first-hand. Have you recovered yet? You've had to write about it today, presumably? Yeah. 
it's it was i mean let's try and start with the simple sort of nuts and bolts of this and then and then maybe try and build out from there go on yes so the score's 1-1 one, one, yep in a game in which of course we all make the assumption that Real Madrid have to win and certainly they have to win to put themselves in a position where the title race is in their own hands yes there is a penalty shout at one end a uh, possible handball from Militao Real Madrid break and they break from the edge of their own area and bizarrely Sevilla suddenly cut wide open in the way that normally happens in the 96th minute of a, yes. of a game that you have to win Benzema is running through the middle he goes into the Sevilla penalty area and taken down by Bono now as you know I love to do these kind of things Go on. 15 seconds between <laughs> the first possible penalty and the second penalty the referee hasn't seen the first one but gives the second so then what happens is he's called to the VAR Real Madrid think they're 2-1 up he's called to the VAR Essentially, you're in a position now where there are two penalties. One at each end, and the referee has to decide which one <laughs> he's going to give. And what was amazing to watch at Valdebebos, and this is, you know, sometimes you don't get a huge amount of benefit from being in the ground other than, you know, more than what you have when you watch on the television. But this time it really did. Mm-hmm. Because you've got a really good sense of the amount of pressure a referee is under, even in an empty stadium. Yeah. When he is standing alone at a VAR screen in front of a stand where, of course, there's lots of staff, lots of players, even if there's not many fans or any fans, there's kind of maybe 350 people in Valdebebos, something like that, all basically shouting advice at him. <laughs> Yes, it was a penalty. No, it wasn't a penalty. He's clearly got his back to it. No, he can't see it. Look how outstretched his hand is. Everyone's saying different things, trying to pressure the ref. He actually took the decision relatively quickly, considering it was VAR. It was about a minute, a little bit more than a minute. And he turns around and he gives the severe penalty. So from Real Madrid thinking that they were 2-1 up, well, thinking they're 1-1 with a penalty to make it 2-1. Sevilla now have a penalty. It's the first time that's ever happened, that a penalty has been given at one end, only to be taken away and another penalty to be given before that yeah. by the VAR. Yeah, I didn't know that for sure, but I yeah. imagine that was probably the case. Mr. It's certainly yeah. the first time I could remember it. Um, and Rakitic scores to make it 2-1. Now, in a way, certainly late last night, I had kind of overlooked this because the focus was so much on the fact that Real Madrid hadn't won and so much on the, on this kind of amazing 15 seconds or 15 seconds plus four minutes and you know all the time it takes for it to happen. Um, but then Real Madrid get an equaliser in the 94th minute, 93-48 I think it was, mm-hmm. very, very late and almost actually get the winner in the very last seconds. I think it was 95-40 or something of 96 and Casemiro bends it just wide. And at the time I think, not very much of it because I was thinking well the main thing really is that Real Madrid have lost a chance to get the title back in their own hands they've lost a chance to win and we're back where we were Yeah, which is of course advantage Atletico even if a narrow advantage but actually thinking about it that late equaliser is really really significant or it could be or could be I mean that's the sort of the nature of this title race for the last couple of months has been everything is significant or seems to be Mm. but then never actually completely is yes and why is it significant? It's significant because what it does is instead of having Real Madrid in third place behind Barcelona and Atletico, it puts them into second mm-hmm. ahead of Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And it also means that in these remaining three games, if Real Madrid win all of their games, now obviously that's a big if because we've seen that these teams aren't winning all of their games. If they were to win all of those three games, the league title would be theirs if Atletico drop points once. In other words, if they have one draw of their three games. Had they not got that equaliser, they would have needed Atletico to actually get beaten Mm -hmm. in at least one of these three games. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, when you look at those games, in particular, the fact that Atletico play Real Sociedad in midweek this week, you think, actually, it's perfectly plausible that that happens. 
Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the football, what happened in the game. Yeah. If you want us to talk about other things, we can do that on our Q&A pod for patrons over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. We'll have a big Q&A pod out tomorrow. Send us your questions. We'll answer them on the Q&A pod. Uh, the game itself, Real Madrid against Sevilla. Uh, Sevilla were better than Real Madrid in the first half. Watching Sevilla in the first half, um, first of all, it was a surprise that he played with no forwards. Um, yeah, he went for Papu Gomez as a false number nine. Was Enesiri not one hundred percent fit? I, I, I'm making that assumption, I mean, but, I don't, but I don't know if this was actually a, a, a tactical decision because I was quite surprised because Surely it seemed you to don't me leave a top scorer. Well, that's what I thought, and 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 you know on the face of it as well, you don't and he can leave, press you, as well. You don't leave energy. out exactly that the man that can press yeah. and the man that can run through a team like yeah. Real Madrid who physically look quite tired. Yeah. That said. In the first half, I was prepared to believe that this was a decision mm. because actually Sevilla used the ball so well mm. and Papa was such an in- integral part of that in terms of dropping off the front, making making play. There's one lovely run he does down the left wing in the first half where he goes quite early on where he goes past three or four players. Um, and I thought Sevilla were brilliant in the first half. In a way, it is true, in which they didn't create a huge amount of chances. Mm-hmm. And possibly, even in the first half when Sevilla were dominant in terms of possession... Possibly, you'd say, even the better chances fell to Madrid even then. Mm. Um, but I was reminded watching them a little bit of what Barcelona occasionally used to do with Guardiola, in that they came and they just played the ball. Mm. And it was almost if like, we're not in any hurry to score. And for a lot of that first half, I felt like, well, well Madrid actually can't get this ball. They can't get it. They, they, they can't get possession. Now, it wasn't as extreme as it occasionally used to be with Barcelona. I think on 20 minutes, I saw a stat that I think was 61, maybe 62%. I can't remember exactly now. Um, but I thought Sevilla were very, very good indeed. Madrid's reaction, I thought, was pretty good as well yeah. in the second half. I don't think it was spectacular in that I think the chances they created, with the exception of the one that Vinicius hits the post with, which is gorgeous between Cruz and Modric to create it for him. Yeah, I thought most of, their, most of their chances were kind of mid-range shooting rather than clear chances, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, but they definitely had the weight of possession. They definitely had the dominance of the territory on the pitch. They were pushing Sevilla further and further back. I felt I felt a little bit like maybe Lopetegui was who who as I say I thought seemed to have judged it really well was maybe a little slow to put pace on up against Marcelo because honestly watching Marcelo up close on your wing yeah um how do I put this politely be polite it's a family show he's um. Not the player he once was. Yeah, but it, it, in a in a very <laughs> noticeable sort yeah. of way. He's his touch on the ball is still lovely, better than most of his teammates. and his crosses and his crossing is really good. But he just sort of doesn't move very mm. much. Mm. Um, and I must admit, I was watching this thinking, at what point does Lopetegui choose someone other than Suso to go at Marcelo? Someone who's maybe a bit more direct and a bit more rapid, basically. Yeah. You said the goal was important that Tony Cross scored because of where it puts Real Madrid in the title run. It's also important because it basically takes Sevilla out yeah. of the, the title contest now. Because if they'd won, they'd have been okay, four points off top spot, but they'd still uh, have been in there. Definitely, they would have still felt that there was there was half a chance. Now, obviously, look, the result that really damages them is the defeat against Athletic last Monday. Mm. Um, but this at that point was yeah. Okay, they're 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 still in this, and and you know Rakitic said after the game, he said he said we'd have been, um, i.e., which doesn't really mean there, it's sort of in amongst it, I suppose, up there. Yeah. Um, had we won today, he said we've got to be realistic. You know, I'm very proud of how we've played, and we'll keep going to the end. But but they knew it was over, and yet I wonder, 
this is again amateur psychologist, and I've said lots. Well, of times we quite that, like to do. That. Yeah, we do quite like to do it, even though it's sort of occasionally an uncomfortable ac- exercise. I wonder if part of the way they played was because they already felt it had gone. Hmm. That they played certainly in the first half with, without some of the pressure that they might otherwise have been under. Potentially. All right, so that was Real Madrid against Sevilla, as we said. If you've got comments, questions, uh, let us know and we'll talk about it on the show tomorrow. Can I just throw one name in? Go on. Marco Asensio. For me, he's the man that changes the game. Okay. With Tony Cruz, obviously. But he comes on and he scores with almost, within a minute. But it's not just that he scores. You didn't count. It was Not, 77 seconds. Was it? Okay, this yeah. time I didn't. Well, there you yeah. go. At least one of us. Yeah, does. at least one of us is doing the, doing the work properly. He, he doesn't just score the goal. He's the one that wins the ball on the left-hand side to make the move even possible because it comes from him back to someone to Cruz and then back to him to score. Yeah. If you look at the goal that Madrid get as the equaliser, the Tony Cruz goal, or yeah. the Eden Hazard goal, I'm not sure who we're giving it to. Eden Hazard. I hadn't even realised it had gone anywhere near <laughs> Hazard in the ground, I must admit. Yeah. Um, it's him again winning the ball in that mm. sort of advanced right-sided position and coming back and bringing it back to someone who gives it to Cruz. Uh, I just thought his liveliness was absolutely vital for their recovery yesterday. And in a team, by the way, that doesn't score enough goals, someone who can actually shoot mm. is really quite useful. Very useful. Very useful. Admittedly, his contribution this year hasn't been as big as, as it probably should have been. Well, actually, this calendar year, it's been better because he scored five goals and they've all come since January. Have they? I didn't realise that. Yeah, okay. So, there we go. All right, let's move on and talk about the uh, goalless draw, which took place uh, 24 hours or 28 hours uh, prior to that at the Camp Nou between Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. Now, Sid, uh, if you had to, uh, hypothetically speaking, mm-hmm. if you had to explain what happened in this game to uh, a handsome Hellenic broadcaster who wasn't able to watch this game because he was emotionally blackmailed to go to his son's friend's four-year-old birthday party on Saturday afternoon. How was the party? And, and, and wasn't able to watch it. How would you explain the game to him in that hypothetical situation? I would explain the game to him by saying that um, Atletico Madrid were in the first half much closer to the Atletico Madrid that we saw in the first half of this season. Uh-huh. They played higher. They had more of the ball. They were maybe not as dynamic, but they kept possession really well. They were a little bit like they had been for probably the first hour or so against Real Madrid in the derby. They created two or three decent chances. I would say probably only one of them is an absolutely clear-cut chance. Maybe two. Uh, there's one that comes back to Llorente and he slightly scuffs his shot, which is unusual for him and Ter Stegen saves. And then there's a very, very good chance from Correa, which Leng Le gets in the way of and deflects wide for a corner when he's about six yards out. They, I think they forced three saves in two minutes out of, or three minutes out of Ter Stegen. And they seem to me to be very much in control. That said, without necessarily creating a clear chance. And just before halftime, Lionel Messi goes on a run that would have been maybe the goal of the season. Mm. A, a really brilliant run, yeah. which produces in the end a fantastic save from El Black. The conditioning elements of that um, first half, possibly the fact that Sergio Busquets with concussion is forced mm. to go off, I think that does change Barcelona. He's trained today, by the way. So. Oh, that's good news. Okay. Yeah. So that's the first half. The second half, I think you do see a reaction from Barcelona. I think you do see them push. In fact, in a way, it's similar to the Real Madrid Sevilla game. Mm-hmm. You do see them start to push um, Atletico back a little bit. But there's a couple of times when Atletico may have done better had they chosen better options on the break. Again, a bit like Sevilla had done last night. At the same time, they also don't create really clear chances. Uh, Araujo scores a goal that's ruled out for offside correctly. Um, there is a 
there's a good opportunity for who was it i'm trying to think who it was now I can't even think. Oh, it's, of course, it's Dembélé who heads it over the bar. Right, yes. Very, very late on. And then almost for the last kick of the game, you have a Lionel Messi free kick, which bends, I mean, within an inch of the post. <laughs> very, very close indeed. So it finishes with nil-nil-nil. With a sense, I think, that neither side are happy with it, but both sides probably were, in my opinion, too conscious of the potential consequences mm. of a defeat. Mm. In particular, Barcelona, I think... If you're going to be critical of Barcelona, and I think it's right to be, this felt like it felt like it fell into the pattern of what's happened in too many of their big games this year, where they just kind of have lacked something, whether it's a bit of character, a bit of urgency, a bit of determination, a bit of belief in themselves, perhaps. In the six matches they've played home and away against the other sides in the top four, Real Madrid, Barca, Real Madrid Atletico and, and Sevilla, they've only won one of those, and that was against that Sevilla. Was Sevilla away, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not a good record. No, and obviously if you take it just as the other two that yeah. are now still in the title race, one point. Yeah. One point from a potential 12. You can add to that the Champions League games, of course. Mm. Um, I think, obviously... the what is, it? is it a lack of... Is it because it's a youthful team? It's a lack of experience? Maybe. Uh, and, and certainly in this game, I think we saw much less of Pedri and De Jong than we've mm. seen in previous games. Possibly, again, linked to the absence of Sergio Busquets. Mm-hmm. I thought we saw a Mingueza who was struggling and had to be replaced by Araujo, who played very well. Yes. Um, I was told that. I was given the, uh, the update. The, the, the Uruguayan yeah. update came yes. in. I'm yeah, glad yeah, about yeah. that. And, and, and so I think there's an element there. I think possibly there's an argument that just says maybe what they've done domestically has hidden from view for us that they're still not actually that good. Would Is you... it that basic? That there's, there's just, they're still just not quite good enough, but good enough to rack up a lot of wins, but even in not that many. I mean, bear in mind that Atletico are top with, what, 77 points? It's mm-hmm. very, very low for this time of year for a team that's top of the league. Is it as simple as if Koeman wins the league, he keeps his job, and if he doesn't, he's out? I was talking to someone about this on Saturday, actually. Um... And there's a very clear feeling that Joan Laporta doesn't have any, shall we say, natural inclination to keep Koeman. Doesn't see him as his man and isn't necessarily overly warm towards him. But nor is he a fool. And should Koeman win the league, I think he would recognise that A, that gives Koeman a certain degree of, what would you call it, kind of popular authority. Mm-hmm. That with Kuman, you're not talking about Setien or Valverde. You're talking about you know Wembley in '92 and mm. all the rest of it, and that does matter. Yeah, yeah not yeah. not a huge amount, but it, it does matter. Well, it's harder to sack a club it's legend. Hard, it's much, not possible. Much, much harder. harder. Yeah. Um, also, that the paucity of alternatives at the moment is very significant. Even mm. Xavi Hernandez has now publicly said that he wouldn't be coming just yet. They could probably get Big Sam. They, they they should try that. They could probably, yeah. they could probably yeah. be available. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he would do a fantastic job. I'm sure he's very much Barcelona DNA, isn't he? <laughs> um, and so I I feel like there's a few things Kuman has done that don't help. I think some of his discourse. I think some mm. of these bigger games. I think that slight sense of uh, the pressure telling on him. But to be honest with you, and I've said this about lots of players and lots of managers lots of times, I'm always surprised that managers aren't more critical that they don't lose the plot more often hmm. um, you know I, I'm, I'm struck for example to take it back to the other game from last night someone like Zidane even last night when he said he was very angry even last night when he confronted the referee it's all done incredibly politely hmm. 
He's, he, he, you know, and, and Kuman hasn't done that. Yes, he said, hi, good night, yes, yes, good evening, yes, yes, I'm very angry. Yeah. Yes, yes. And at the end, of the, at the, end of the interview, he, uh, Ricardo Rossetti, who does the touch by the interview, even said to, to Zidane, well, at least you've got a smile. And he said, yeah, but I'm angry. Yes, <laughs> I do, yes, I'm furious. Yeah, yeah. Um, the title running, three games to go. Uh, Atletico have, uh, we've got a full round of the midweek fixtures. So Atleti have uh, Real Sociedad, Madrid have Granada and Barcelona have Levante. Then Atleti have Osasuna and Valladolid to come. Madrid have Athletic Club and Villarreal. And Barca have Celta and Eibar. Of those three, Real Madrid have pretty clearly the, the yeah. hardest. With uh, one small caveat. Oh, come on, Villarreal in theory are hard. I think Villarreal is a, is is very very easy. That, <laughs> that will be three days before they play the Europa League final. Yeah, there's absolutely no doubt that that will be Villarreal B at okay. best. Okay, and on the final day, Atletico are playing Valladolid, who could be fighting for their lives, and Barca are playing Eibar, who could also be fighting yeah. for their lives. Equally, they could also already be out of it. Both be down. Both yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, I think when you look at it. I mean, again, I'm I'm reluctant to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm mm. reluctant to say it because every week proves us wrong when we say this. Mm. We say, oh, this is huge. I sort of feel like if Atletico get through Real Sociedad, mm. then they're in place. The thing is, as I say, this league has proven time and time again. That's a big you, if. You can't make assumptions, yeah. No, we really can't. All right, let's talk about the relegation battle and talk about your return to Getafe. <laughs> Because just to let the listeners in on, on what's been going on, I'm, I'm sure many of you will know, but some of you will not know that Sid has been religiously applying for accreditation every, week, yeah. every single week to go to every single I will be honest. Possible. I will be honest here. I had reached the point when I was applying, even if I knew I wouldn't go, well, you knew because that. I thought, look, yeah. I know I'm not going to get in, yeah. but I want them to know that, yes. hang, hang on, I, I want this accreditation. And every single time came the same automated response, <laughs> and Sid kept doing it. Sorry, Getafe against Elche on a Tuesday night. Sorry, it's full. You can't come. There's too many press accreditations. There wasn't. There clearly wasn't. They just didn't want Sid in. However... Uh, things have been opened up now here for the press, so more press are available to go into the press box. And so, Sid went to the Coliseum. Had you calculated how many days it was since you'd been there last? I haven't actually. No, yeah. I should have done that. You shouldn't should have I? done that. Yeah. I should have. Do done you remember that. what the last game was? Was before this? Could it be Ajax in the Europa League? Ah, okay. Wow, that feels like That's, several lifetimes. It ago. does. And they were really good that night. I mean, they were very dirty, but yeah. they were really good as well. Uh, yeah. Well, lots happened since then. A lot has happened since then, yeah. I mean, and they're fighting for their lives instead of Europe for a start. Quite literally now, because they're really sucked into this uh, relegation battle. There are uh, five points separating the bottom six. Catafe got 34, Alaves 32, Valladolid 31, Wesker and Elche on 30, and Eibar... On 29, you saw them win last week against Alaves, and you saw them win with a, a late penalty uh, uh, this weekend as well. And I think deservedly so as well. I wouldn't claim that they created loads of chances, but they were certainly the the, the, the team that looked for it more. There was an opportunity for Kike Garcia just before, a header that, that was saved. Um, it was a handball, uh, and I'll, I'll just sort of slip this in. I know we're not going to go into the refereeing thing. It was a handball that, in my opinion, is far more debatable than the Militao one. Okay. Um, it's given by VAR I must admit I didn't even see it in the stadium I obviously then see it, see a replay and um, I quite like Mendelibar's comment after the game I don't know if you saw this he said I wasn't going to watch I don't like the pressure of penalties and we'd missed five of eight <laughs> and he hadn't chosen Rethio to take the penalty he said but when someone picks up the ball and is determined the best thing to do is to let them take it um, he said I didn't watch it but they told me he took quite a good one. <laughs> it ended up in the back of the net so that was uh, that was the most important thing as we said it's really tight at the bottom. One side who 
managed to move away from the relegation zone this weekend were Valencia yeah. with that 3-0 win over Valladolid. There were some big fan protests before this game, though. I mean, serious fan protests. Yes, um, around about 6,000 outside Mestalla, which given the current situation with the pandemic, given that fans can't get into the ground, I think is a very, very significant number. I think it feels as well in Valencia and I'd love to know what, what Valencia fans feel about this particularly those who, who are actually in the city and, and kind of have a, a feel for this um, it feels very much like this isn't just protest either because underneath it there is a project building to try and bring together groups of fans to get a small shareholding to be able to have not control of the club because that's impossible with Lim there mm. but a voice and to make sure that that voice is heard and to have at least some sort of checks and balances placed upon the ownership. Now, obviously, the, the context of this is everything we've talked about before, uh, about the doubts around Lim's ownership, about particularly last summer when they sold, what did you say, five starting 11 players. Yep. Um, the, the, the fact that, that Matteo Alemane and, and, and Marcelino were forced out, both coach and, and, sporting, uh, sorry, and general manager, plus, of course, the sporting director, Pablo Longoria, who's now the president of Marseille. And then the other part of the context of this, I think partly provoked actually at some subconscious level by all the protests around the Super League. I think that's part of the kind of the context of this. But the other thing was that Lim gave an interview to the Financial Times, which is a very strange interview in some ways. Because I must admit, I thought that the first time Lim gave an interview, it would probably be to try and... Um, <laughs> You know, project an image of himself yes. as as as. No, I understand, and <laughs> the club's in good hands and stuff like that. And some of what he says in the interview is is fair enough. And he says, "Look, you know, this club wasn't in great shape when it was owned by Valencians." But coming through in a lot of those words, I think, is a, a sort of a bluntness that doesn't always help. Now, as I said um, on Twitter at the weekend, in a way, all Lim does is say the things that most presidents and owners think. They just don't say so publicly. Yeah. I.e. this is my club, this I can is my do whatever club. I want. Yeah, more or less, more or less, yeah. Um, and he makes the point as well about how it opens business at revenue and he says some comment about how you sit at a table and you're surrounded by, what's he said? He said, um, you're surrounded by black, white, mafia, shakes, uh, oligarchs, um, business gurus, and you're all sort of chatting about football as if you were kids, which on one level is nice, but obviously what he's essentially saying is this gives me access to these people <laughs> and, and, and perhaps implying that is what concerns me, not, not the club. And obviously in a context in which people are unsure about you anyway, that pushes it even further. It feels like something is moving, but then of course the reality of ownership is that how much, however much things move, ownership fundamentally wins out. Mm -hmm. um, maybe some concessions can be gained maybe at the very least some sense of voice being heard can be can be put in place and the weird thing about valencia is that i think there are people at the club on a day-to-day -day level that do understand these things that do recognize the value of a fan's voice or at the very least of, of being seen to listen mm. even even if ultimately when it gets back to the the owner or the boss as it were it maybe doesn't go very far but I think there are people there who, who do have an appreciation of this I mean I wouldn't actually include Anil Murti in this even though I know some people don't like the way that he deals with the media and so on I think there is an awareness of some of these issues the problem is of course the reality hmm. continues to be what it is it is but for the time being uh, it's going to continue to be what it is in the Primera División instead of in the Segunda which is, uh, which is very good news for Valencia fans speaking of the Segunda congratulations to Espanyol yeah, who confirmed their uh, promotion with a 0-0 draw at Zaragoza every time Espanyol have been relegated they've bounced back immediately 
I didn't know that. Yeah. Right. Uh, this was uh, obviously they got relegated for the first time in nearly thirty years last season, yes. and they've come straight back. Uh, they got relegated with no fans allowed in the stadium. They spent a whole season without fans in the stadium. This is good. They've come back to the. It's Primera. the way to do it. I mean, if you're yeah. ever going to go down, yeah, go down when no one's going anyway. <laughs> um, Although actually, I, I've got friends. Um, who are fans of teams that sort of habitually go down and up a bit. Yeah. And a lot of them say, actually, it's good. Because you sort of get the joy and the excitement of, of the return. Yeah. Rather than just hanging around at 12th position in the league all the time. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Mallorca a second. They drew 1-1 at Malaga. And uh, Almeria are six points behind in third. They won at Tenerife. Almeria, Leganes, Girona and Sporting are in the playoffs. Rio are a point outside, but they play Leganes tonight. Sporting Oof. also play tonight against Lugo. Oviedo won 2 1 against Sabadeo, and they're six points clear of the drop. They won't yeah. be going down. No, they probably won't. And all season, Oviedo have been kind of a couple of bad results from getting dragged into it, but never quite do get dragged into it. So, listen, they're 11 points off the playoff, Oviedo, with 12 points up for grabs. There you go. I'll, leave, I'll just leave it showing. there. Uh, this week we've got match day 36 in La Liga, midweek fixtures, Tuesday night, Osasuna Cadiz. Elche Alaves, huge one at the bottom, that is. Mm. And then uh, Levante, you're smiling at me, you're not going, are you? No, I'm going to Levante. Are you going to Levante? Yeah. You're going to Levante Barca, uh, which is a 10 pm kickoff. I know, I know, on a, honestly. On a Tuesday. I was actually thinking this the other day, and I, I, you know, I don't want to make this about me and you know, boohoo, sob story, and all the rest of it. But I was, I was sort of trying to work out why we get to the end of the season so exhausted. And part of the reason is that every <laughs> single game, you're not finishing before kind of 11 o'clock midnight. And on these midweek this is ones, even more so, yeah. 10pm on a Tuesday, honestly. Then on Wednesday, you've got Sevilla against Valencia, Celta Getafe, Huesca Athletic and Atletico Madrid against Real Sociedad. And I'm at that as well, and that's also at 10pm. It is. And then uh, Thursday night, Valladolid Villarreal. Yeah, I'm at that. Are you really? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to Valladolid Villarreal, yeah. S- seriously? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, Eibar Betis and Granada against Real Madrid. That is a good effort, Sid. Yeah, I'm now... Disappointed that I didn't choose the Granada game, but I thought, well, via Leith, it's a relatively easy trip from Madrid. Mm. Last time I did it, I bumped into a pig on the way back. I told you about that, didn't I? You did. Smashed into a smashed into a Jabali on the road. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're quite big. These things. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was a ter- it. terrible accident. We're very sorry for the for, for the, the wild boar. I mean, it, yeah. I saw it roll out under the under the back of the car, sort of bounce across the road. Sid, yeah, kind of, it was horrible. What kind of way is this to end the podcast? Sorry, sorry. I mean, it was. I mean, it's genuinely quite frightening I because know. the thump was quite loud. Yeah. Boom, crikey. Okay. Well, where do I take this from here now? Listen, uh, at Patreon, we'll have a Q&A pod for patrons as usual on Tuesday, uh, answering your questions and no mentions of, of wild boar. murdering wild boars on the, on the motorway. Uh, we're going to have a bonus pod on Friday, looking back at those midweek games. We'll have a new episode of TSFP Presents Sliding Doors as well, which will probably air out uh, on Thursday if we can squeeze it in between... Sydney oh, going for all these that, games. Yeah. yeah, we'll squeeze it in. Don't Find worry. Don't worry. So come and join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. You know there is loads of Spanish football content there. We've got hours and hours and hours and hours of archive podcasts uh, as well from our various different series. So there's lots of stuff there to keep you entertained until next week when we'll be back here as ever in a Skoda talking about Spanish football. Adios. Cheerio.
Social Podcast Network.